We're starting our new series, Christ Jesus Hour, and then there's a, a list of topics that we're looking at over the next number of weeks. Today's is Christ Jesus, our God and Saviour. Just so you know what's coming, there has been a sheet on the board and it was emailed round you all. Um, Christ Jesus, our Redeemer and Redemption. Christ Jesus, our Righteousness and Justification. Christ Jesus, our Atoning Sacrifice and propitiation, and so on. Go and have a look at it. You'll see that um, the series has been uh, pulled together so that we may together be reminded or see for the first time, possibly, that Christ is absolutely everything. And that without him in our lives, we have nothing. But Christ Jesus is the one who brings completeness and he brings salvation to us. And we're really thinking about what God's salvation is that he gives to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. The one who embodies the salvation for us. It's the various aspects of that that we see in the Bible. That are described in terms sometimes that people would say, oh, it's a theological term. Um, yeah, I've heard that big word before. But we're trying to understand what those words mean and it becomes very personal because it's about a person Christ Jesus our and for today God and Savior Christ Jesus is found that way his name in that order in the New Testament sometimes it's Jesus Christ and other times it's Christ Jesus and there's no accident in that and we've selected in terms of our title Christ Jesus for an emphasis reason, that Christ was the name Messiah, one that had been promised by God repeatedly through the thousands of years of Old Testament times, that God was going to send a Messiah, one who would be the righteousness that humanity could not be, who would bring justice to a, a broken and failing world and would reign as king forever. This was the one that was promised. Christ. And then Jesus is the name that was given to the baby that was born to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. And the name means saviour. He will save his people from their sins. So in taking the name Christ Jesus in that order, we're remembering and being taught, I hope, that the Christ has been promised by God from all of eternity, if we can say that. One who has always existed and always been in God's mind. And Jesus is the one who is the Christ. And in him, Christ Jesus, we have our everything. Of course, the New Testament writers repeatedly then refer to him as the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And that's what he is. He is Lord. That's not a name. That's a title as for who he is. And as Christians... We believe that he, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, those are names, is Lord. That means he's over and above everything and he controls absolutely everything and he is everything for us. We're going to see that today as we consider Christ Jesus our God and Saviour. So each of our stopping points on our way through our series is going to expand on the amazing truth that we're going to touch on a little bit today. 
which is that God himself entered into humanity in the person of his son in order to redeem us, to save us. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow with me, we're going to read something of what Paul wrote to Titus. So a little book in the latter part of your New Testament, uh, the book of Titus. You work your way through the, the Gospels and Acts and then you get into Romans and Corinthians and all the way through the letters to the churches and then you will come to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and then Titus, uh, the letters to people uh, that Paul would write. Or you can just listen as I would uh, read some verses from Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 through to 14. I just should say before we read it that Paul was encouraging Titus as, as a leader in churches of God to um, continue to ensure that people in churches of God were, were living in the joy of what it was God had done for them. And he says this in chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is a little summary of the gospel, the good news, God's good news. And it's such good news, we're going to read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's worth reading again later yourselves and just spending time thinking of what it covers. Absolutely everything. It's God's eternal purpose of grace. What is grace? It's granting to those who are undeserving of it something that you just give. It's a gift. And the person does not deserve it, but out of the, the love and the, the outflow of love you give. That's grace. God's eternal purpose of grace, granting to the undeserved something wonderful. What is it? To bring salvation to believing sinners. To miraculously transform their lives. We see that in there. To give those believing sinners a certain and unshakable, eternal, called blessed hope here, and to gather them in this present age into God-honoring Christian communities so that they might declare God's salvation and glory to the world. That's my summary. I'm trying to encapsulate what Paul does better under the Spirit, of course. So God's eternal purpose of grace, to bring 
salvation to believing sinners, to miraculously transform their lives, to give them a certain and unshakable eternal hope, and to gather them into God-honouring Christian communities so they might declare his salvation and glory in the world, knowing all the while that he is going to appear again. God has promised this from the beginning of Bible history, that he would do this. Adam and Eve, the first humans that were created perfect, in the image of God, doubted the things that God had said and were instigated in that. And because of that doubt, they went against what God had said should be done. They went against the law of God. I'm not thinking here about the law of Moses, the law that was given to Moses for the people of Israel thousands of years later. I'm, I'm thinking of the general law of God, which is what God puts in the heart of all of us. It's there. We read about it in Romans chapter 2. A conscience that's there. A moral um, within us and here Adam and Eve break that code that was given the law that was there that the creator God would expect and it's described as the fall they fell away from God the moment they distrusted him and pursued their own gain judgment then came from God a righteous and a holy God he had said if you do this you'll die they didn't die instantly, but there was an instant moment of being separated from God that was then manifested in a broken creation after that was culminating in the death of individuals and also the death of this natural order that we see about us. We see it. It's decay. But in that, in God pronouncing his judgment and the reasons why, he made a promise way back in Genesis chapter 3. He said, the seed of the woman, so speaking to Eve, one of your children is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Now the serpent was uh, some um, embodiment of Satan who had come in to deceive Adam and Eve. The one who was set against the things of God and wanted to spoil the humanity that God had made in all of its glory. He came in. And he spoiled it. God knew all this. But through it, God was saying, in your seed, his head's going to be crushed. I'm going to bring salvation to you. Through the prophets, repeatedly, there was a reminder that God was bringing someone who was going to do something wonderful. Isaiah 42, verse 1, God says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The brokenness of society and government of humanity would come under an absolute justice, God's justice, and promised in a person who is described as God's servant. You go to Isaiah 53, and there this one is described, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many to be counted righteous <laughs> and he shall bear their iniquities and because he bore the sin of many makes intercession for the transgressors here was a promise before Jesus that God was saying one is coming the seed of the woman he'll defeat the adversary he'll defeat sin he'll come 
and he'll bring justice, God's justice, to a broken world. He'll come and he'll actually be the means by which God's righteousness is upheld and he will suffer on behalf of sinners, those who have turned from God. And we all have that. And then Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is something spoken about Bethlehem where Jesus was born. It says, Bethlehem, from you shall come forth from me one who is a, to be ruler in Israel. Listen, who's coming Fourth is from of old, from ancient days. Ah, there's a hint. God is not just going to send a man or raise up somebody from humanity who is just a mere human. It's going to be somebody who has existed beforehand. Now, we're not into the matter of reincarnation here. The Bible's clear that we begin our lives the moment we're born and it's appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment. There's no reincarnation. But here was a, a hint from God that he was going to do something that humanity could not do on its own, save itself. Humanity couldn't do it. God would intervene. And he said this one who would actually stand as God's righteousness and be the sin bearer that he was from of old, from ancient times. All this is achieved in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, our God and Saviour. Now, we just don't have the time today to do these two uh, titles, Great God and Saviour, uh, the Justice. So we're going to race through some stuff. Maybe we need to back up a little and remind ourselves, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everything and everyone. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection. Goodness and glory, wisdom, justice and truth. And nothing happens except through him and by his will. And there are three persons, we believe as Christians, there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. That's God. So we would understand him as he reveals himself to us. What does the law of God require? As the one who's made everything, you know that if somebody makes something, then they have control over that which they've made. They've made it for a purpose. And don't we get frustrated when things don't work out as we anticipate it would? Um, what does the law of God, the one we've described in these ways, require? Of humanity, a personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And love our neighbour as ourselves. What God forbids should not be done. And what God commands should always be done. Hmm. Now we have a problem. It's a description then of our failure, which the Bible calls sin. What is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Not being or doing what he requires in his law, which results in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, in word and action. What a predicament. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favour? 
Yes. To satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Now, I'm wanting to jump into next week's topic already, but I'm going to hold back on that. A redeemer is someone who restores what was spoiled. Who is the redeemer? The redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God. In whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us to God? The only redeemer must be one who is truly human and also truly God. Our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It says the grace of God appeared, looking at Titus 2 here again. The grace of God appeared in what's described after it. And it's embodied in the person of Jesus. John, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, wrote at the beginning of his good news account, the Gospel of John. John 1 verse 17, he says, God's grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John actually was writing late at the end of the first century because people at that point were starting to doubt that Jesus was God. They were saying, just a special man and might have been given God status later. Can we really believe that Jesus Christ, the historical figure who lived 2,000 years ago, if you deny that, you're crazy. Because everybody, all historians say that Jesus Christ lived. Can we really believe, and this is vital, that he is God, God and Saviour? He is more than a prophet, and we have millions in our world who will say that Jesus is a prophet. Yes, Jesus Christ was a man sent by God with a particular mission. But as we thought about from Micah 5 verse 2, his origins were from of old, from ancient times. He has always existed, is what we learn from Scripture. And we're going to very quickly consider some of the statements of the founders, if I can say it, of the, the truths that shape Christianity. He's more than a prophet. And he's more than the man who was a good man, who was then endowed with some sort of God status because of his life. He was exalted to the throne of heaven. Jesus Christ, he was. But that had always been his position before he stepped into humanity. Because we believe as Christians that he is the eternal son of God. The great God and saviour. Who it says here is going to come again and display his glory to us who believe. You know the apostles, uh, those men who were given the task after Jesus had lived and died and been buried and raised from the dead and was taken into heaven. That's their testimony. And it shaped their lives. They were prepared to die for it because of who they came to know Jesus to be. The apostles were convinced that the man that they'd spent about three years with was God. I believe it took them 
up until the moment when Jesus was raised from the dead to really know the reality of that. They, they were Jews looking for this Messiah. Now, Jesus was unique and special. And they said as much. You've been sent by God. You can do things that nobody else can do. And they heard the things that Jesus said. I'm, I'm racing ahead again. And they, they were, I think, still grappling with the reality that a man in front of them was God himself. But when he was raised from the dead, they were absolutely convinced. John says this at the beginning of his Good News account. John chapter 1. Remember he's writing late, trying to convince, not trying to convince, reminding believers of the reality of who Jesus is. He says this, in the beginning was the Word. That means the expression, the logical expression of who God is. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's how he begins his account of the things that Jesus said and did. He said he's God, right from the outset. John also wrote letters. We have 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. In 1st John, towards the end of the New Testament, he said to Christians in a church, in churches of God, he said, every spirit, so every person, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So this is vital if we're to be believers and to be counted as children of God. But notice the language there. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You wouldn't say that when I was born, I came, would you? You'd say I was born. The language of the Bible is so precise. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Here's one who always existed. Great God and Saviour. Paul. Paul was one of the best Jews you could find. And he had raced through the ranks of the religious elite. And he hated the new Christian movement. Because it was an affront to what they understood and God was doing and declaring through his law. For them, a Jew, it was all about keeping rules, hoping that God would honour you with eternal life when the Messiah would come. And they missed the Messiah. And Paul was a man who persecuted the Christians, who dared to live their lives so differently, believing that the man Jesus Christ had claimed to be God. That was blasphemy. Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus from heaven. It says that Jesus appeared to him. This is after Jesus had been raised from the dead and had ascended to heaven. He was on his way to persecute some Christians. And it says that Jesus appeared to him. And it was so astounding, he was thrown off his horse. He was blinded by the glory of what happened there. And his life was never the same again. He came face to face with the reality that Jesus Christ was alive. Jesus being alive is the proof that he is God. Listen to what he says. We don't have time to go into these portions, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11, is, is one of the key passages that tells us of the identity of Jesus. He there says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And it goes on. But there is a statement from Paul. He was God. And he took on humanity. What grace of God. You could also add to that Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. And part of that says, where he's describing God's son. He says his son, he is the image of the invisible God. And by him all things were created. And he is before all things. That means he existed for eternity before there was anything else. And in him all things hold together. So there's a statement from Paul. That this Jesus Christ who walked on this planet was God. The creator who sustains everything. Remarkable. Peter. Peter was another of the close followers of Jesus. While Jesus was going around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil as it's described. And in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter actually uses the same phrase as Paul uses here in Titus. And he says in opening his letter to Christians. He says, Peter, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. By the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now there was a man who has spent time with Jesus. Who ran away when it came to the crux and Jesus was going to be taken and crucified. He lagged it. Because things weren't working out as he expected they would for the Messiah. As he understood the Messiah. But then when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Peter. And Peter's life was entirely changed. This man is God. This makes all the difference. And he says he is God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. One of the most striking of the, the disciples' testimony is Thomas. Thomas is known as the man who doubted. The day that Jesus was raised from the dead, he visited the, the disciples who were gathered together. They were frightened for their lives because the Jews were going to come after them, the Jewish leadership. And they gathered in a room and Jesus appears in the room and Thomas isn't there. Because he's, he's hiding away somewhere else. The disciples find Thomas and they say, we've seen Jesus. He is God. He says, no way. The next week they're together and Thomas is with them. And Jesus in his grace comes and appears again. And Thomas, who'd said, I'm not going to believe this unless I can see and touch the, the marks of his crucifixion. Jesus comes over to him and says, you want to, to see and touch? Go ahead. Thomas just cries out, my Lord and my God. And Jesus was not one then to turn away and say, you can't say that. So Jesus was not just a good Jew, because if he'd been a good Jew, he would have said, you can't say that about me. Here was one who was God, the creator of all things, whose law we have broken, who was here in humanity, receiving the right praise and acknowledgement from people. And Thomas, my Lord, my God, we need that for the salvation that God offers to us today too. Now Jesus was also convinced. Jesus was convinced of who he was, his identity. Some people think, uh, no, he didn't ever say that he was God. John 5 verse 18, it says there, as John recounts, it says the Jews, the Jewish leadership, were seeking to, all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was a rule breaker according to their understanding of the rules, but he was even calling God his own father, which to a Jew 
they understood, meant that he was making himself equal with God. Can't do that. So they were wanting to kill him. That's the reason why they did in the end. John 8, 58 to 59. Jesus is in a conversation with the same Jewish leaders, probably. And he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, before Abraham was born, I am. And that I am statement is the name of God that the Jews knew. God declaring himself, I've always existed. So when Jesus said, I am, he was claiming to be God. No doubt in his mind. What was their response? This is blasphemy. It says they picked up stones to throw at him. John 10, 31. We have a similar thing again. It says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said, why are you doing this? I've done good things before you. And they said, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So there were men who'd spent time with Jesus, absolutely convinced of it. There's Jesus himself, absolutely convinced of it. And we have it recorded for us here. That Christ Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Do we believe it? Believing that changes everything. Jesus Christ, our God and Saviour. Now here's where it gets remarkable. The salvation that um, I think Paul is referring to here because he says we're looking forward to our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Saviour, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is the end point of God's salvation, which is that we will be taken to be with God forever. And God will then do to this natural, physical creation, what he has promised he will do. He will fix the brokenness that sin brought in. New heavens and a new earth. And we'll be with him forever to enjoy it. That's the end point of salvation. But it has to begin somewhere. And it begins by faith in what Jesus has achieved on the cross. This grace that appeared brings the eternal hope of glory. That we will share with Christ. This grace that's referred to here brings the miracle of a life that is transformed and redeemed out of its sinful brokenness by the power of God. That's here. And notice that Jesus Christ here, who's called our great God and Saviour, is the one who gave himself for us to redeem us. From all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we thought earlier that God would provide a redeemer. Why must the redeemer be truly human? Because of his human nature he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. And also that he might sympathise with our weakness. What grace of God. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? Together, same time, fully God, fully human. It's what we've got here, our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He came. God came. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? Because of his divine nature. His obedience and his suffering would be perfect and effective. 
And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. So do you see it? It's here in this phrase, our great God and Saviour. He's always existed. He is God. He is equal with God. The Son of God. And God in his Son took on humanity. That he might share in our weakness, but not only that, sympathising with it, but be without sin and live the righteous life that we could never live, that meets the standard of God's law, and then go to the cross, that he might bear the punishment for sin for those of us who have broken the law. That required somebody who was fully human to live up to the standard that God expected, somebody who could die the death of humanity, but so that that same one could be raised from the dead, it would have to be somebody who had the infinite power of God and the one who also on the cross was able to bear the infinite judgment, the eternal judgment of God against sin. God's judgment against sin is separation from him forever. At the cross, a great God and Savior, the one provided, endured the infinite separation in his humanity. We can't understand it. This is where faith comes in. And as we hear it, faith comes alongside. And we say, thank you, God, that you would do that for us. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. Romans chapter 3, and verses 23 through 26. Just listen to this. Here is Paul in another place explaining this wonderful reality of God's grace to us. Christ Jesus, our God and Saviour. He says this, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, that's made righteous, by his grace as a gift. We receive it by faith, we don't earn it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the one who is always promised who came into humanity, whom God put forward as a propitiation, by his blood. Propitiation means he's the one who would satisfy God in his life and in his death. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Here's the important thing. This was God honouring his justice and his righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God himself has brought salvation to us in himself by taking on humanity. His justice is honoured and upheld. His righteousness is achieved and upheld. His wrath against sin is can I use the word absorbed? In the one who is our great God and Saviour. Why did Christ die? Death is the punishment for sin. Christ dies willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin and to bring us to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from eternal judgment and gains for us 
forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and everlasting life. <coughs> this is our great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus, received by faith alone. Let's pray. Our gods, we are amazed at your grace that you would come in the person of your eternal son into humanity to we who were undeserving and that you would through the life and death and resurrection and exaltation of your son offer to us salvation and redemption forgiveness of sins eternal life a righteous standing before you and you offer it to us to be received by faith as we would a gift. We want to thank you for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you that by faith we look to it now but he is coming back and we'll see him in all of his glory and enjoy him forever. And we would say to you again that we acknowledge that he is God. And thank you that he is our saviour, the saviour you have provided. Help us to think on these things and to go forward in the joy of them. Transformed in our lives as Paul could encourage through Titus. To demonstrate him in our lives to the world about us. Help us please in this as we appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.